following message is from the North Shore Christian Center MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Center is available at www.nscc.org.au. Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Mark chapter 6? And we are going to do part 2 of creating an atmosphere for miracles. We started this last week. We'll finish it this week, God willing on creating an atmosphere of miracles. I didn't quite get through my message last week because God showed up. And uh, that's always good when God shows up. I'm more than happy to go into the, into the back seat and let God take the front seat. So there's a scripture in Mark chapter 6 that I've always found fascinating. It's a scripture about when Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And Nazareth is not far from Capernaum where Jesus did amazing miracles, where Jesus was able to, you know, just heal crippled people and, and lay hands on blind people, and they saw in just amazing miracles. But when he went to his hometown, the Bible says that he was not able to do the miracles there that he was able to do in other towns. We want to see why this morning. Let's read it together. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6 says, Now when he went out from there, he came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to preach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get all these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Not is this not the Messiah? Is this not the carpenter? They titled him with a different title than other towns did. The son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. I find this scripture incredibly fascinating because Jesus did not cease to be God in Nazareth. He did not cease to have the power of the Spirit upon him in Nazareth. Every other town that Jesus went to, he performed amazing miracles, but he was not able to perform amazing miracles in Nazareth. And I want us this morning just to stop and think about that. Why the Son of God, the miracle worker, was able to do miracles in one spot and not in others. Because I, I, I really believe that we can learn a lot from this passage and the way that we learn is not to repeat what they did. To create an atmosphere where miracles were difficult to come by. And I really believe that, that we have a choice. Whether we create an atmosphere where miracles happen. Or whether we create an atmosphere where miracles are hard to come by. And as a church, I don't know about you. But I want to create an atmosphere where miracles happen. I want to create an atmosphere where God is able to move in power, in signs and wonders. 
And this morning, I just want to focus on two things that they did in Nazareth that stopped the miracles happening. And I really believe that if we do exactly the opposite of what they did, then we can create an atmosphere where miracles happen. Let me tell you the first thing that they did is that they dishonored Jesus. They called him a carpenter rather than the Messiah. They called him the son of Mary and Joseph rather than the son of God. They made him little instead of making him big. And I really believe if you're going to dishonor Jesus, then you create an atmosphere where miracles are hard to come by. But if you do exactly the opposite, if you start to honor him, if you don't make him small, but you make him big, then miracles happen where God is exalted, where the name of Jesus is lifted up, where he is honored in the midst. My friends, I'm telling you, whenever the name of Jesus is exalted, his presence comes. And that's why in Pentecostal churches, we love to worship. We love to exalt Jesus. Yeah, this is fascinating because the difference between so many other churches and our church is this. In so many churches, they have what I call a sing song. What's a sing song? Well, you get given old songs that you know off by heart and you get caught up in the nostalgia of having a sing song. And it's all about your enjoyment and it's all about you enjoying your sing song. Not in Pentecostal churches. We don't believe in sing songs. Does anybody have a favorite sing song? We don't do that in our church. Why is that? Because the focus is not a sing song. It's the exaltation of Jesus. It's about lifting up his name. It's about honoring him. It's about focusing on him. It's saying, come on, church, take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off your hymnal. That's why we don't give you a hymn book. We don't want you looking down. We give you words on a screen so you can lift your eyes high. We don't give you a, a hymn book to hold in your hands. We give you nothing to hold in your hands so you can lift up your, your hands high and begin to worship God. Now, some people find that very confronting. They come into our churches and they say, I don't know about that. I feel uncomfortable. Well, let me tell you what you're uncomfortable about. You're uncomfortable about let me tell you what happens when you start to fall in love with Jesus. When you start to discover who, he's, who he is. Oh, you start to fall in love with worship. You start to say, I never, ever want to go back to sing songs again. <laughs> I'm over sing songs. Sing songs was about me. Sing songs was about my favorite. But worship is about him. Worship is about abandoning myself in this atmosphere where it's him and me. And I close my eyes and I lift my hands and I get exalted to a place of communion with him. Oh, that's honoring Jesus. And that's what we're about. Can anybody say amen to that? <laughs> hey, man. Honoring God. Honoring God. 
Can I just say to you that wherever you go and create an atmosphere where God is honored, his presence is there. And that's exactly what the people of Nazareth failed to do. And that's why there were no miracles in Nazareth. Let me tell you the second thing that creates an atmosphere for miracles. And that's believing, having unwavering faith. Because in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, this passage finishes by saying, and he marveled because of their unbelief. They had in their midst the healer. They had in their midst, and they even declared it themselves. Where In verse 2 it says, Where did this man get these things, and with what wisdom is this given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? They had the healer there, but they didn't believe in him. They had heard of the miracles, but they didn't see it because they didn't put their faith in him. Unwavering faith. Can I just say to you that I am a big believer that God created the universe. Does anybody else believe that? God created the world. God created human life. And Anna, that was such a beautiful communion when, when we look at what holds the universe together. What holds, what holds this, what stops me from just disintegrating and going into a, a million pieces? It's, it's, what is it? Mel Laminin. Not laminex. Laminin holds it all together. And the very design of laminin is in the shape of the cross. What a prophetic word is that? That is absolutely wonderful. He holds it all together. But how many of you know that there's a push in the worldly philosophy to remove God from the center of things? Do you know what I find amazing? I find amazing that when... A non-Christian looks at a scenario like that and sees a marvel that is absolutely bewildering. Do you know where the compliments go? Mother Nature. Oh, look how, how many of you heard that? Look how wonderful Mother Nature is. Look what Mother Nature put together. Mother Nature. Then when a disaster happens, when something bad happens, what's that called? That's called an act of God. So when something good happens, Mother Nature. When something bad happens, act of God. What is that? That's a ploy to remove God from the center of it all. Don't you be sucked in by it. I will never use that term, Mother Nature. To me, it's offensive. Why is that? Because God is not Mother Nature. Mother Nature is one of those motherhood statements to make people feel good about something that they cannot fathom because it is unfathomable. The creativity, the design, the amazing ability to put something together, that comes from the very mind of God. And to remove it from an attribute of God and give it to Mother Nature is offensive to me. 
and it ought to be offensive to every God lover. Can I just say to you, I believe in the God of miracles. Does anybody else believe in the God of miracles? I I want us to say, I believe in the God of miracles. I want you to say it again. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I believe in the God of miracles. I believe that signs shall follow those who believe. Does anybody else believe that? Mark 16 says, these signs shall follow. Who? Believers. You've got to believe to see the signs. And so belief creates an atmosphere for miracles. But disbelief gives you the same atmosphere that they had in Nazareth. And it says, now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. I believe that without faith, it is impossible to please God. I believe that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we ask or think. I believe that my Redeemer lives. I believe that heaven and hell will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away before any single one of God's words falls short. Does anybody else believe that? If you do, begin to shout, begin to say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. My friends, and that's what creates an atmosphere where miracles are possible. You honor God. You believe in him. And as soon as you do that, you're actually creating an atmosphere. You say, John, you're trying to hype us up. No, I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm trying to word you up. I'm trying to put the word into you. I'm trying to put God's word into you. You know what happens too often? Oh, we want the deep stuff. Give us the deep stuff. This is the deep stuff, folks. This is what creates miracles. It don't get much deeper than this. We can complicate things, and in complicating things, we actually remove the atmosphere of faith. And let me tell you, when you've removed the atmosphere of faith, you've just overcomplicated it. Let me give you the third one, and I'll finish on this. The third ingredient to create an atmosphere for miracles. The first one was what? Honoring God. The second one is unwavering faith. The third one is unity. Everybody say unity. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst. You know, a scripture like this can be so quoted and so cliched that we lose the significance and power of it. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. So in, see, it's not where two or three are gathered because people can gather and have a war. But we're talking about being gathered in unity, in my name, united in my name. I'm there in the midst. You want the presence of God? Start to gather together in unity. Start to gather together unified. I love Psalm 133. It says, Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
And then it talks about so many different things that happen, but it finalizes and says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Where does God command a blessing? Where brethren dwell together in unity, where people dwell together in unity. I believe that unity creates an atmosphere of miracles. And in Acts chapter 4, we see that this was the understanding of the New Testament church. And they were united together. You can read it in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 33, that they were united together with one accord. You can read in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came. The day of Pentecost came when they were all gathered together in one accord, united, and the Holy Ghost comes upon them. Then in Acts chapter 4, they, they wanted to see miracles, and so they gathered together in unity under the apostles' teaching, and mighty works were done, amazing things were done out of unity. Let me state something here emphatically, and I want you to grab hold of this, because I really believe that one of the enemy's greatest plans is to divide you from divine relationships. I'm going to say that again. I, I honestly believe that one of the greatest plans of the enemy is to divide you, to separate you from divine relationships. How many of you know where in the Bible the devil was introduced? Where, where is the first introduction of the devil in the Bible? Who can tell me? Genesis chapter 3, the Garden of Eden, the first mention that we get. And, and, and who knows what that story is all about? Let me tell you what that story is all about. Because Satan comes disguised as a serpent. And, and you say, well, that's, that's the temptation. Yes, but what was the temptation all about? What was the purpose of that temptation? Just in one sentence. It was to divide and separate Adam and Eve from divine relationship. That's what it was all about. Oh, it was about eating the apple. No, it wasn't about eating the apple. It was about separating them from God. It was about dividing them from divine relationship. Why? Because in divine relationship, there is power. In divine relationship, there is blessing. In divine relationship, there is destiny. You can't fulfill your destiny outside of divine relationship. And so what does the enemy want to do? He wants to separate. He wants to divide you from divine relationship. What I find interesting is the story of Abraham and Lot. You can read about this in the Bible. The story of Abraham and Lot. You, you know that when when, when Abraham left his hometown, he took his nephew Lot with him and, and said, come on, let's go. We're going to destiny. We're going to the promised land. We're going to the promises of God. And Lot said, I'm coming with you, Uncle Abe. We're going together. And they went together. And you know what happened to Lot? So often we, we, we concentrate on Abraham. But when you look at what happened to Lot, he got blessed my goodness he got blessed he got so so blessed that the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot were, were having arguments as to as to how could they feed all of their animals and so we get to the situation where Lot is just 
unbelievably blessed. Abraham was unbelievably blessed. And they came to a point where they said, hey, listen, we got a, we got a huge problem here. Our, our people are fighting each other. So what if you go one way and I'll go another way? And Lot said, yeah, that's a great idea, idiot. Wrong answer. The right answer was not let's separate. The right answer is how can we resolve? How can we resolve these differences? Everybody say resolve. The answer to difficulty is not separation but resolution. And so what happened with Abraham and Lot? They separated. Oh, Abraham was so gracious took Lot to a big high hill and said, listen, you choose which way you want to go. And Lot looked at the green, green pastures and he looked at the desert and said, I'll give the desert to my uncle. I'll take the green. Idiot. Don't you know that the blessing has got nothing to do with where you position yourself? The blessing has everything to do with where God positions himself. And so Lot chose the green pastures of the great valleys of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what? What's fascinating, when you read the scriptures, what you find from the day that Lot separated from Abraham, no more blessing on his life. No more blessing. When you start to read the stories of Lot, they make you cry. You see Lot in in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see Lot wanting to sacrifice his daughters. And then it finishes off with him having incest with his daughters. I mean, it's the worst story possible of what happened to someone when he was divided from divine relationship. You say, John, you've just depressed me. No, no, let, let me encourage you by taking you to another story. Another story. And this is the story of Ruth. How many of you have read the book of Ruth? If you haven't read the book of Ruth, you need to go and read the book of Ruth because Naomi, who's Ruth's mother-in-law, gets to exactly the same position as Abraham and Lot were. She gets in a position where she says to her daughter-in-law, oh, I'm in a shocking way. My husband has died. My two sons have died. Ruth, you're my daughter-in-law, but I've got nothing to give you. I'm going back home. Listen, I release you. I release you from any obligation. You can go home. You can be separated. You can start again. And you know what Ruth did? She looked at her mother-in-law and she saw in her mother-in-law divine relationship. She saw in her mother-in-law that God had connected them together. And she looks at her mother-in-law and she says, I ain't going anywhere. Where you go, I go. Where your home is, that's my home. Your God, he's my God. Where you lie down is where I lay down. And God forbid if anything should separate us. And you know the story of Ruth? is one of the most 
beautiful romantic stories in the Bible because as she stayed in divine relationship with her mother-in-law, it was out of that divine relationship that she meets her knight in shining armor. She meets the love of her life and she gets married to a very wealthy man and she's no longer a slave sort of scrounging around for a bit of a living. Now she's the boss's wife and oh boy does she get blessed and she ends up being the grandmother of of the great-grandmother of David and in the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. She stayed in divine relationship. Folks, I want to say to you that, that one of the, the seeds that the enemy uses to divide relationships is disappointment. Disappointment. That word disappointment. When it comes in, it's such a wedge. And you know what? In life, it's going to happen. You're going to get disappointed. Someone's going to make you a promise one day that they're not going to fulfill. You're going to have a need somewhere. That's not being satisfied. And disappointment will raise its head. And when disappointment raises its head, then you've got to see it for what it is. It has within itself the seed of division. And disappointment can divide you. Or you can address that disappointment and say, no, I'm not going to let you sow that seed of division in my life. But I'm going to knock you on the head, resolve it, and address my disappointment so it does not divide me from divine relationship. Can I ask you to do that? Maybe some of you are suffering disappointment right now. Because no marriage breaks up without disappointments. No relationship breaks up without disappointment. There's never an argument without a disappointment. No relationship between mother and daughter, father and son, breaks up without disappointment rearing its head. And if that disappointment is fed, and if that disappointment is watered, and then if that disappointment is shared and amplified, and placed in an atmosphere where it can flourish, that disappointment, I prophesy, will always lead to division unless it's resolved. One of the greatest things we can do is to go to God and say, God, I'm disappointed, but I'm not going to let disappointment get into my spirit. I won't let it get there. Help me to resolve it. And if not resolve it, then forgive. Because I don't want to be divided from divine relationships. Church, can I just say to you that when we come together in unity, don't let the disappointments get in. You know what? As a pastor, I love you, but I will never always do everything right for you. You know, I, I, I could be 
you know, focused on something and walk right past you. And you can interpret that as John has ignored me. And you know what? There is nothing in my heart that would ever do that. But it can seem like that when someone's busy and focused. Do you know what? Can I just say to you that if that has ever happened, let me ask you forgiveness because it's certainly not in my heart. You say, but John, if someone said, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying how little things like that the enemy can use to sow a seed of disappointment. And as soon as that happens, bang, you want to divide. Oh, well, well I, I just, you know, I just wanted to do this and it wasn't allowed and I wasn't able to do that. Folks, don't let the enemy poison divine relationships with disappointment. And what we need to do is just protect the spirit of unity as much as possible. You know, the beauty of this church is that we are united. Uh, there's, there's no motivation in preaching this message in, in, in anything but to inoculate you in the future from any spirit of division. Because I just know this, that even if a church has got faith, even if a church honors Jesus, if the enemy can get through the back door by bringing in division and bringing in all sorts of groups and this and that, it can stop the atmosphere of miracles, even if a church has got faith and honoring because God cannot operate where people aren't united together, but where people are united together. And I really believe, Steve, if you'll come, uh, I really believe that's what we have here. We've got unity. We've got faith. We've got the honor of Jesus in this place. I believe we're creating an atmosphere for miracles. We're ready for it. We're coming into it. I, I feel that God's prophesied into my life that the second half of 2012 was going to be a season of miracles at North Shore Christian Center. We're sowing to it. We're putting it into the atmosphere. We're creating this atmosphere of honoring Jesus, faith, and unity. Come on, we're going to see it by God's glory. We're going to lift him up in this place. And today, we're just going to honor Jesus. We're going to take some time out and say, God, I'm not going to focus on my problems. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to lift up Jesus in this place. Come on, let's just, come on, Mags, come and sing for us. And we're just going to stand together and just lift up the name of Jesus. Will we do that? Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Center Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 